Our scripture today is from Psalms 127. Psalms 127, NIV Bible 424. 424. Unless the Lord builds his, the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. And that's the word of the Lord. All right, uh, I'm going to introduce uh, Amy. So Amy Anderson uh, has been going to Grandview for a long time, probably six years, seven years. Yeah, she lives in the neighborhood. Um, she brings a wealth of reflection on work in particular, um, but also uh, rest, which I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing. I won't be up here for, for that part. Um, so I'm going to invite her up. This is just, it's a wonderful passage. It's a great song. Uh, I've been pitching this sermon series for a long time, and it's so fun to see that it's happening. Like, I think it's really important for us to understand where our worship comes from, and that it uh, roots us into the story of God, through, into scripture, and that's a big part of uh, who we are. It's about our identity, it's part of our, voca our vocation, and I'm glad that um, Amy will be kicking us off on this series. So. Um, Let's get you set up. Um, I just want to acknowledge at the start that I'm not coming to this uh, talk from a place of strength. So the psalm tells us, you know, you don't need to stay up late. You don't need to get up early. The Lord gives rest to those he loves. And I was like up working till 1130 on Friday night and then was up at six in the morning on Saturday. And that's kind of normal for me. And so this is a thing where I'm preaching to myself as much to anybody else. So this is coming out of long reflection on this song. It's one that we've sung for a long time and it's one that runs through my head all the time, really, really regularly. So um, yeah, I'm coming to this from a place of being a person who likes to work, uh, works too much, seeks to control, wants to fix things that I can't fix or that are not mine to fix, um, and, and I am striving all the time. That's just my nature. It's what I was raised to be. That's what I am. And so the process of learning what it means to receive God's rest is something that's still ongoing for me. Um, so that's where I'm coming from. I'm also really tired. It's been a really exhausting season for me, for this church, for lots of us. Um, there have been years of exhaustion, and then the last six weeks in particular have also been a time of exhaustion. So I just want to acknowledge that for myself and for all of you too. So today we're going to talk about work. We're going to talk about exhaustion. We're going to talk about provision and letting go. And if there's a bit of time, because 
I'm not sure exactly, I wasn't sure exactly how much time I had, so we'll see. If there's time, we're going to talk a little bit about Sabbath specifically. So, Psalm 127, I'm going to read it through one more time because I think it's always good to have scripture in mind when we're reading, or when, we're, when I'm speaking. So, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for the Lord grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the one whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. So it's a really simple psalm. It says basically we try to build all kinds of things. We try to protect all kinds of things. We try to provide all kinds of things. Um, the last bit that talks about children is one that I always am sort of like, what's going on? I don't have kids. I probably won't have kids. I'm 39 and single. That's a reality in my life. Um, but as I was reflecting on what that meant, I was remembering in the Old Testament in particular, children are your heritage. They are your legacy. They're your protection, and they're also what sustains your memory. And so I'm not going to talk as much about that second half, but I just want to acknowledge for myself and for those in the congregation who don't have kids, and maybe this feels like it doesn't apply to us, what this is saying is that God provides our legacy. God provides um, our memory. We are held in the memory of God, whether we leave something behind us or not. And so I'm going to speak more to these questions of work and of rest, but that piece of our legacy being something that is in the hands of God um, is provided by God if we have kids, if we have a family, if we have work that lasts beyond us or not. God holds us and, God, and we're, we're held in the love and in the memory of God. So just wanted to deal with that at the start. So like I said, we try to build all kinds of things. We try to protect and provide for all kinds of things. But God is the one, ultimately, who builds, who protects, who provides, and who gives us a legacy. This theme is repeated throughout scripture. It's, it's everywhere in the Old Testament. I had to sort of filter through all the ideas I had in terms of what we can talk about to illustrate this. We've got God giving Sarah a son miraculously. We've got God providing for Hagar in the desert. Uh, we've got God delivering God's people from attack miraculously um, and holding his people in being when they're not able to do that for themselves. When their plans for empire, their plans for glory don't work out, they are still held in the love of God. So God is the one who provides, protects, and sustains his people. There are so many examples, um, but today we're gonna look to Elijah. Um, Elijah is one of my favorite biblical characters. There's just so much there. Um, and is a he's a really important figure in Jewish tradition as well. Um, Elijah is still part of Jewish tradition, has always been, um, and is part of the tradition, the Christian tradition as well. We see Elijah showing up with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. We see people wondering whether Jesus is Elijah come again, whether John the Baptist is Elijah coming again. So Elijah is this really seminal figure. Um, in 1 Kings, 
Elijah does, it, he's, he's just this kind of miracle worker. So he's powerful with God's power in a way that very few people throughout scripture are. He's kind of on, the par, on par with Moses. Sort of Elijah and Moses, they are the ones who have God's power um, at hand. Elijah works miracles. He challenges the king. He calls God's people back. He raises the dead. He provides for the poor. He over and over illustrates the presence of God among his people, and he works super hard. Um, the sense of Elijah being the one who brings the presence of God, who provides for God's people, is one that this, this sort of ongoing presence of Elijah in the Jewish tradition is part of it. Um, in the Talmud, there's a verse that says, when dogs howl, the angel of death is in town, but when dogs frolic, it is a sign that Elijah the prophet has come to town. <laughs> so there's this idea that the coming of Elijah is the coming of the presence of God, the blessing of God on his people. Um, in 1 Kings, you see lots of stories about Elijah. Um, chapter 18 is one that many, um, many of us have probably read before. I'm hoping that people are familiar with it, but if not, basically this is a point where God's people have abandoned the Lord. So they're worshiping lots of local gods. They are um, led by a king and a queen who have a very unjust rule. Um, they're, they're taking from the poor rather than providing for them. And as a result, God has brought drought on the land. So there's drought and there's famine. Um, and Elijah comes to this mountain and he says to the priests of these local gods, it's time for us to decide who is the God of this people. It's time for the people to decide who are they gonna worship, who are they gonna look to for provision, for protection, um, and to build up this kingdom of God. So he meets on the mountain with the prophets of the Baals. So those are the, the sort of like gods of the storm and et cetera. Um, and they build two altars. There's one uh, built to the Baals, and there's one that's built to the Lord. And the priests of Baal, um, Elijah says, basically, the God who sends fire is God. The God who sends fire is the one that we can know is the Lord. There's this contest. The priests of Baal spend many hours dancing around the altar, calling out for fire. Nothing happens. In the message, it says, they tried every religious trick in the book, um, and it was not effective. There was no answer. Elijah goes to his altar, he soaks it in water, he asks them to pour water over and over it, he calls to heaven, and fire comes down immediately. He prays and says, God, show these people that you are God, and God answers. Um, so Elijah is, in this story, the one who demonstrates the power of God. God uses him, he works through him to show that God is real, to call God's people back. Um, he shortly after ends the drought. So he's also the tool of bringing healing to the land. Um, and this is a moment of sort of like ecstatic celebration. So it says that when the rain starts, Elijah runs in front of the king's chariot all the way back to Jezreel, uh, all the way back to the destination. So he has this sense of overwhelming, um, overwhelmingly being this tool and this agent of God. God is working through him powerfully. And then we get to chapter 19. And at the start of chapter 19, we read that the queen, who is not happy about this situation, she 
She loved the Baals and the priests of Baal, and she's upset that they have been slaughtered and that their reign is ended. She's, going, she's decided that she wants to kill Elijah. Um, and so he runs again, but he's not running in victory. He's running in terror, and he's fleeing for his life. It says, First uh, Kings 19, this is on page 244, if you like to look to the scriptures. Um, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The message says, I have worked my heart out. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have worked my heart out for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, Anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Yehu son of Nimshi king over Israel. And appoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet. So Elijah's at a point where he has done everything. He's been this powerful agent of God's work. And he hits this point where it seems like it's all for nothing. He's done absolutely everything he can do, and then he, he really hits the end. He's exhausted. He wants to die. 
And as he's in that place, he sleeps, he rests because there's nothing else he can do. And God begins to provide. It's worth noting this is not the first time this has happened to Elijah. So a couple chapters back, uh, we hear that there's a drought in the land, there's no food, there's no water, and Elijah goes and lays down by a creek. And God provides for him. He sends birds with food and, and he sends a creek so that Elijah has what he needs in order to carry on. So this is not the first time that God has provided for Elijah in a time of need. Um, but he's hit this point once again where he feels that there's nothing left, that there's not going to be anything for him. So he sleeps, he wakes up and there's food delivered by a messenger of God. Angel means messenger. He sleeps again, there's food again, and the angel says, you need this, you need this because the journey is too much. Um, you don't have what it takes to carry on. So God provides, and then he says he walked for 40 days and nights through the desert. Um, you may remember 40 days and nights being something you see elsewhere in scripture. Um, it shows up in the story of Noah. It shows up in the story of Moses. Moses is on the mountain meeting with God for 40 days and 40 nights. And it shows up in the story of Jesus. Jesus goes out into the desert and fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, when you see a number repeated in this way, it's worth paying attention to. Um, we're not going to talk about it in detail, but typically the thing that matters in that case is not the number itself, um, but the, the link it makes to these other stories. So Moses is meeting with God. Noah is being delivered through something. And Jesus is um, drawing on, the story of Jesus draws on these pictures to show us that Jesus is going into the, the wilderness to meet with God. So not going to talk about that in detail, but pay attention when you see the number 40 or 12 or 7 in scriptures. Um, so, like Moses, there's this 40-day and 40-night period that Elijah goes through in order to encounter God. He meets God on a mountain. This is another thing we see, see in scripture over and over. So Moses met with God to receive the word of God. Jesus we see also on a mountain, the Mount of Transfiguration, where he encounters Moses and Elijah, right? When we see Jesus transfigured, Moses and Elijah are present with him. And so this sense that God is particularly present in this place is something that we see through scriptures. It's not just that he goes to a mountain and randomly God appears. Um, this is an intentional seeking out the presence of God. And he says, like I said, the message, I think, captures this really well. I have been working my heart out for you. He says, I'm alone. There's no one else here to do the work. Everybody who's tried to do it is gone. I'm the only one left. In the Old Testament, there's layers to encounters with God. So we see people meeting with God's messengers. We see God, people meeting with these sort of revelations of God and acts of power. And Elijah has had both of these kinds of encounters with God before. Um, the fire on the mountain that happens immediately prior to this, that's God's presence. The messenger of God who brings him food and tells him the journey is too much for you, that's a kind of access to God's presence. But when he comes to the mountain and he says, I've been working my heart out for you, he's told, you're going to encounter God in a new way. Um, you're going to encounter God in a direct way that very few people in Scripture are seeing. Like, this is something that is unusual. It's an unusual and direct encounter with God. 
So he is waiting on the presence of God and many things happen. There is a giant wind. Uh, wind is, is a sign of God's presence. We see the wind of God moving over the waters in creation. We see the wind of God at Pentecost. And so it says there was a mighty wind, but God was not in the wind. There's an earthquake. When Moses is on top of the mountain, there are earth, there's earthquake and fire. Um, but it says, in this case, God was not in the earthquake. There's fire. Uh, we've just seen God showing himself through fire from heaven. But it says God was not in the fire. And then it says there was a still, small voice. There was the sound of silence. And when Elijah hears that stillness and that silence, then he goes out on the mountain to meet with God. And once again, he says to God, God says, what are you doing here? And he says, I have worked my heart out for you. I'm alone. There's no one else to do the work. I have nothing left. So he comes to God with his exhaustion, and God sends him back. But God doesn't actually send him back to the work. And this is really interesting to me. This is, we, we do continue to hear about Elijah a little bit, but we don't hear much about him after this point, because God sends him back not to do more work, not to continue calling God's people, not to continue doing mighty acts, but to go out and appoint his successor. God tells him, go and appoint Elisha to succeed you as prophet. Um, the phrase, to pass on the mantle, maybe you guys know that's an English idiom, passing on the mantle, that comes from this story. So it says, go out to Elisha, and Elijah does, he goes back, he does a very various other things, um, and then he goes and he throws his mantle, his cloak, over Elisha, who is going to succeed him as prophet. Um, the final miracle in Elijah's life is when Elisha comes with him across the river to the other side, and Elijah is taken by God up into heaven. And this is one of the reasons Elijah is so seminal in sort of Jewish tradition is that there's a sense that he doesn't die, he's taken to be with God. Um, so Elisha says, I want to be like you. I want to be able to follow you in this work, in this power that you've had. And Elijah says, that's a hard thing. But if you see me taken, then you will know um, that, that my power has passed on to you, that the work is now yours. What happens is Elijah is carried to heaven in, in a chariot of fire. So Elisha says, the chariots and horses of Israel. And this is relevant because at various points in scripture, when God's people are desperate, there are these moments of revelation where they suddenly realize that there are forces acting for their good that are beyond their ability to see. So you hear about chariots in the, in the treetops. There is a point where Elisha um, and his servant are surrounded by armies, and suddenly his servant can see there are these chariots of fire above him. So this idea that Elijah is taken up into heaven by the powers that have sustained him and sustained the people of Israel throughout their history and will continue to sustain them after he's gone. So he's carried up into heaven. Elisha sees him, and his robe falls, his mantle. And so Elisha takes the mantle, he takes the cloak, and he carries on with the work of God. So I think there's a word in this for us. <laughs> 
it's maybe kind of obvious, but I'm gonna articulate it really straightforwardly. And that is that God has done great work at Grandview. He's done great work at, in a lot of your lives. Um, and for some of us, the work carries on. So I'm not saying, you know, there are times when we, we are called to carry on the work of God, but there are also times when we hit the end of ourselves. Um, when we come to God and all we can say is in despair, I've worked my heart out and I have nothing left. I feel alone, I am exhausted, and I don't know what to do. So here I am. <laughs> and God receives that. He doesn't send us back into work that we don't have enough for. Um, God provides for us, and sometimes he releases us from the work. And it's important for us to be able to accept that. It's important for me to acknowledge that there are things that I can't fix that are not mine to do. It's important for us as a congregation, I think, too, to think about what are the things that God has done through us in the past, and is it maybe okay for somebody else to carry that work forward? Maybe there are other people who God is desiring to work through. What does it look like for us to let them do the work? We've been talking about Sabbath the whole time I've been at Grandview. I've been here for, I think, seven or eight years. And there are these seasons when we talk about Sabbath and we say we're going to lean into Sabbath. And we kind of are in Sabbath now because we have no choice. <laughs> but that's not something we've done very well. Um, and it's one of my main struggles at Grandview because I am a bit of a workaholic. And so to be in a congregation where I'm certainly not alone in that can be difficult because it, it pushes me into that place of unhealth. Um, but there's also the joy of walking alongside other people who are struggling with the same thing, right? So I'm, I'm receiving it as a gift, but I'm also aware of the peril in it. There is always going to be work to do, but God doesn't need me to do it. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, we keep watch in vain. In vain it is to stay up late and get up early, toiling for food to eat, because the Lord gives rest to those he loves. Um, Robert Alter is a Jewish translator, and he, he gives a fairly direct translation of that passage, and it's something along the lines of, so much he gives in sleep to his beloved. There's just this profound, deep provision So we've been talking about Sabbath for a long time. And what occurred to me when I was thinking about this is that in Genesis and in Deuteronomy Exodus, God's first gift to his people is life with him, is God's self. God's first gift to his people is God's self. God's second gift to God's people is rest. In Genesis and the Torah, God's second gift to his people is rest. Everything else comes after. The law, um, the land, the work, all of these things come after God's self and God's rest. So, if you feel like you've worked your heart out uh, individually or in this community, 
I would just encourage you to think about what does it mean for us to receive first the gift of God's presence and secondly the gift of God's rest and only after that to start thinking about the call beyond. As we do that together, we do need to think about how do we support each other? How do we love each other well? Um, this isn't a call to sort of abandon other people's needs, but it is a call to recognize we can't always meet those needs. There are things that we can't do that we need God to do. We sometimes need God to provide other people to do that. Um, This is, this is my favorite piece by Joy, our beloved former pastor Joy, and it's called Tended Like Elijah. And it refers to that earlier story where Elijah, in a time of drought, goes and lays by the creek, and God provides for him. Uh, the ravens come and give him food. And so I'm going to put it up at the altar as we go into communion, and just have you think about where is it that you need God to tend you? Where do you need God to meet you in your need? Where do you need God to meet other people in their need? Where do you see drought that is beyond your power to remedy? And how can we as a community live into, yes, our call, but, but also our call to rest? How can we live into the belief that God is going to meet the needs of the world, whether we do or not? What does that mean? So I'm just going to set it up, have you guys reflect on that while we wait for the kids to come up. Is that right, Octavio? Okay. Um, and then we'll move into communion. <laughs> 